still waiting for a big smile out of you. You're up 2-0. What's the story? Are you not happy or? Stay to be happy about. You're up 2-0. The job's not finished. Job finished? I don't think so. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Jobs Not Finished podcast. Uh, today we do have a very unique and amazingly talented individual. Uh, this person has 30 years experience as a reporter. They're also a public speaker who has been featured in corporate events, business events, women's conferences, seminars, workshops. Uh, they are also a published author. Just a lot of experience behind this individual. So I'm really glad that they were able to make some time and join us on the Jobs Not Finished podcast uh, please give a warm welcome to Christina Hogue. Christina, thank you so much for joining. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for thanks for having me. You made me sound great. <laughs> yeah, no, there was something else, if you don't mind, I pulled from your website. I would love to read mm-hmm. that if that's totally fine with you. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, so I saw this portion on your website, which link will be down below for everyone that wants to check uh, Christina's website out. It is very interesting. Uh, it says, a former journalist, Christina Hogue, has had her laptop searched by Colombian guerrillas, phone tapped in Venezuela, was suspected of drug trafficking in Guyana, hid under a car to evade Guatemalan soldiers, and posed as a nun to get inside a Caracas jail. She has interviewed gang members, bank robbers, thieves, and thugs in prison, shanty towns, and slums, not to forget billionaires and presidents, some of whom fall into the previous categories. So my question is, did you... (laughs) No, this was going to happen going into this field. Was it a part of your field? How did this happen? Well, my dream was I, I always loved reading and writing. I mean, since it was, I was a kid, I was a bookworm and I loved to read. So naturally, I wanted to write the stories that I read. So I loved. Uh, so that was my always my goal, even as a little kid, was to be a writer. Um, and when I got to high school, I discovered journalism and there was a high school newspaper and a, and a course, a class called journalism. So that's, so I took that and I thought, oh, this is perfect for me. I, I can write and I can make money writing. And my dream became to, my second passion is travel. I can be a foreign correspondent. So that was always my, my goal. Um, and so I was, you know, in, involved in writing and uh, journalism in high school. And then in college, I went to Boston University. I actually majored in English, not journalism, just because I loved literature. Oh, and it didn't seem, I researched, it didn't seem to make much of a difference, uh, you know, as for a journalist uh, career, which, which degree you had. So I did that. And I decided I wanted to go into broadcast journalism. And I did a couple internships at radio and TV stations in Boston. Um, when I graduated, it was in the middle of a uh, recession in the 80s, and it was really tough to get a job. And I just sent out, you know, resumes upon resumes everywhere um, to TV stations I particularly wanted to get into, just couldn't get any traction. And finally, one came through, and it was, um, it was called Satellite News Channel, and it was an early sort of precursor to CNN. It was a 24-7 cable news network. Wow. Yeah, so I got an entry-level job there. It was a news intern. It was paid minimum wage, um, basically running around the newsroom, delivering script pages and whatnot to the anchors. Uh, I don't know. I I wasn't even there six months, and the thing folded. CNN was up and coming, and CNN bought Satellite News Channel. 
And that was the end of that. So that was like, (laughs) okay, great. (laughs) So then I was like, well, what can I do? And I knew, you know, it just was impossible to break into broadcasting. So um, one day I saw an ad in the Bergen Record newspaper in Bergen County, New Jersey, where I went to high school, uh, looking for news clerks. And the chief uh, duty job description was writing obituaries. And I knew how to do that because they had taught that in JO 101 at BU. So wow. I was like, oh, okay, I can write obits. And they had said, that's the way in. So anyway, so that's how I started in journalism, really, is I got a um, part-time job in the evenings writing obituaries, calling funeral homes and writing these obits of, you know, dead people. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was that was the very inauspicious start to to my career. I'm assuming that wasn't the your. It probably didn't suffice when you were writing obituaries to start. Did that kind of start it off on a rocky patch for you, or were you still excited hitting that ground running just to have that opportunity? Yeah, I was still excited. I I still thought, well, you know, I I wasn't sure what I I just needed something. It was a it was a foot in the door basically. Mm-hmm. I just had to get a foot in the door, and that's what it was. And you mentioned maybe even a a toe in the door. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Any experience could be good experience at the time when you're starting off. You mentioned kind of submitting, you know, resumes, applying for different jobs. I'm curious how the field of journalism reporting goes about that. Do you have to submit, you know, writing pieces? Do they kind of do any different kind of tests? How did that like the interview process work for you when you were going through the rounds? Yes, you usually submit a resume, um, you know, squeeze it all into one, one page and you have to submit writing samples, articles, they call clips. So uh, you, you, you know, just collect your, I, I collected everything with my name on it that had my, what, they, what you call a byline or a tagline, which is byline is by Christina Hogan. Tagline would be at the end of the article, just like a small thing, Christina Hogan. So, and then you choose your best ones, maybe five or six, um, half a dozen, no more than that really, and uh, send them to the, you know, HR or whoever it is, the managing editor. Uh, these days, you know, it's, you can send links also. I mean, it used to be that you would make photocopies and, you know, send the actual hard copy. But these days you just send links usually to your online um, work. And so uh, going from kind of, you mentioned that obituary job, uh, not to skip too far ahead, but was the, what we spoke about earlier about interviewing people, you know, gang members, bank robbers, uh, was that part of a job that you held or was that just kind of like a passion on the side that you went out and did? Um, How did that come to like fruition? How did that happen? Yeah, that was all, you know, for, for articles, for jobs, for, um, for journalistic purposes. And um, just, I went abroad, I, I worked for new, uh, newspapers in New Jersey, a couple different newspapers. Um, as a reporter, I worked my way up from the from writing obits to covering council <laughs> and school board meetings. And then finally, that was also part time and finally got a full time job and as a reporter and, and I just loved it. I mean, I just loved it. And um, so I worked for about five years and then I, I felt bored and I just wasn't, you know, I was just like bored doing school boards and council meeting. It was just, it seemed small to me. Um, so I went abroad and I just quit my job and I actually taught English in Spain for a year. And then I went to Guatemala and I got back into journalism and, um, and started working for a little English language weekly newspaper in Guatemala City run by this eccentric uh, older American woman. And it was just great. I was covering all these great stories, human rights violations and interesting like travel stories, stuff about the Maya, archaeology. I mean, it was just, you know, and I, and I knew then I'd sort of fallen into my niche. 
Was that something that you figured out on the job or did you know going in that I wanted to be a foreign correspondent? Because I see a lot of, you know, reporters right now, they're doing politics or they're doing entertainment, pop culture. Uh, uh, I guess, you know, at what point did you know or was it just you got thrown into there and you were like, oh, I love this? Oh, I kind of. I mean, that was that had been my, my dream in high school and I could see it wasn't coming to fruition very quickly, you know. And, um, and so it was sort of like under there, I, I didn't really realize what I was doing. I just wanted to travel. And then I started, you know, fell into this, this met this woman. And um, since I had a background in journalism, I just started doing it. And then it was a couple of years, you know, it was years later. I'm like, wait a minute, I, that's what I wanted to do all along, you know, yeah. is be a foreign correspondent. And I, and I kind of made it, so I sort of kind of made it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, after Guatemala, uh, there wasn't too much in- news coming out of there. I ended up in Caracas, Venezuela, and I spent seven years there. And that's when I really got into doing all those things that you read about and um, read off. And I would, um, I was sort of a freelance foreign correspondent, and I would write articles and sell them to different outlets. Um, Miami Herald, um, Time Magazine, Business Week, Houston Chronicle, New York oh, wow. Times. Financial Times, Sunday Times, or London, basically whoever would buy my stories. And, was, and a host of um, industri- industry kind of things. Like I wrote, I covered the, the shipping industry in Venezuela, for example. I mean, very, you know, boring stuff, but actually they pay quite well. The trade um, trade magazines, Latin Trade, Latin CEO, a whole bunch of stuff. So I would travel around all over South America and the Caribbean, and I would pick a story and go and do the story, and then I would sell the story, and that would pay for my expenses and usually you know more left over I could usually get a couple of stories out of one destination or at least at least one so that's what I did and it was just yeah it was a highlight of my career it was, was, just, it was just great was there ever like a point where they said hey you need to travel here or maybe a story like did you draw the line anywhere like I won't go here or I won't speak to this kind of uh you know if it's too dangerous of a situation or just something that was there ever that line that you drew in the sand that said I won't cross this or were you open to any story you know traveling anywhere yeah, I never, I never turned down an assignment. I, um, you know, at one point, I the Miami Herald called, and they would assign me different, different things as well. I covered the in, in Panama. I covered the canal handover, Panama Canal handover for Business Week. Business Week also sent me to Dominican Republic. Um, I covered peace negotiations in Colombia for Time Magazine, and then the Miami Herald wanted me to go to Cuba one time. And now, you know, Cuba wow. is off limit, was off limits. Uh, and I guess still is. I'm not sure what the situation is with that <laughs> now. Um, you know, for people, Americans, you know, people traveling on a U.S. passport, um, they, they didn't care. Uh, to get into Cuba was nothing to, uh, with a U.S. passport. But if obviously the U.S. government, it was against the law. So I went. I mean, I, I got on a plane and I just went. Um, they don't stamp your passport. And I kind of had to hang out there. Jimmy Carter was visiting um, and meeting with Fidel Castro. And I didn't actually couldn't file too much from there because the Cuban government monitors um, all the internet traffic in and out of the island. So I had a code that I developed with the, the editors in Miami of like, you know, anything that was going on. I said, okay, you know, great place, having fun, you know, yeah, you know, I'd write these uh, emails because I was there on a tourist visa. I wasn't there as a journalist, but the Herald oh, wow. wanted me there just as a sort of a backup in case something happened to Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. which it was a historic visit. And I, I did get in to see his speech to at the University of Havana and everything. So that was the only, you know, but I mean, I just, again, it was fine. I didn't, I didn't really turn down anything. 
Is there a lot of opportunity in this field, would you say? I know you mentioned CNN was kind of monopolizing even back then, taking over certain outlets. Uh, even right now, it seems like there's like three or four in America, at least major networks that kind of monopolize all the little ones. So do you feel like there's a lot of opportunity in this field for people that might be uh, graduating you know, this year or have recently graduated? You know, it's a shrinking field and it's really sad what has happened to journalists, especially print journalism, but I think also, also broadcast. Um, it's just been sort of decimated by the internet because there's so much for free, news available uh, for free on the internet that people don't pay for. Um, and of course, this has affected uh, media companies' bottom line, just you know, wiped it out along with uh, advertising trends. You know, I mean, before, for example, you would put a, a classified ad in the paper to sell something. There are no classified ads. You know, again, there's Craigslist now. You, you list it for free. You don't pay for an ad in, in the paper. Uh, legal notices, all that stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It, it's gone really, it's shrunk really, really badly. Um, and it's, you know, it's a shame because it is, uh, you need a strong independent media and, and for in a democracy, you know, you, you need to have uh, a watchdog. It, it's, the media serves a watchdog uh, function. So it's difficult. I would say, you know, there's still opportunity there, but you need to be um, kind of a multitasker in other words, you, you have to be able to write, shoot video, um, and edit your video, you know, take audio and edit the audio. You have to be kind of a, a, a versatile um, journalist these days to do different, a whole bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with the, uh, as of recording this, you know, the pandemic is still a very much a thing. So uh, how you were traveling around, so I'm assuming even that avenue has kind of shrunk now for reporters that are traveling out of the country or even just out of state right now. So um, you mentioned when we spoke earlier that a arm injury sidelined you from being a reporter. Uh, Is there any more details on that? And maybe uh, would you still be doing it today, do you think, if not for that arm injury? Um, What happened, um, after Venezuela, I went to the, I was hired as a staff writer at the Miami Herald. So I lived in Miami for five years. Then I came to Los Angeles, where I am now, and I worked for the Associated Press. Um, And after all those years of typing on deadline madly, um, my my tendons in my arms tore. And I ended up with kind of a repetitive, what do they call an RSI, a repetitive stress injury. It wasn't, I mean, it's, you know, other things like carpal tunnel syndrome wasn't quite that. It was a slightly different thing, but it was the same kind of effect that the doctor said you you won't be able to be a journalist uh, anymore. So I had to leave um, the field on that. Although I I now do it somewhat freelance a little bit. Um, I do more corporate work, uh, which pays well. but I, yeah, I, I probably would. I, you know, if if, I, if that hadn't happened, I'd probably st- still be in it, doing it. Um, you know, it was something I really loved to do. And so, since it was kind of taken away with that injury, what do you think has filled that void for you uh, when you did kind of step away from it a little bit? I know you mentioned you're doing it freelance now, but uh, from going from full time to freelance, what kind of filled that void for you? Is it that you know the corporate? Um, the speeches that you give, uh, you know, the writing for publishing your own books, just is that filling the void? What's kind of filling that void for you? Yeah, I just, I, you know, I, it was a, a huge loss for me because you, you know, you've been in a field for so long, you derive so much of your identity from being a journalist or a reporter, you're in the thick of it all the time. Um, so, but I thought, you know what, maybe this is what, the, you know, the universe is directing me to write fiction. And I had been writing, you know, working on a novel at home, uh, you know, for 
for some years. And I thought, well, now's my chance I can work on my fiction. Because that was the other thing I wanted to do since I was a kid was write books, you know, and write novels. So I, I that's what I did as I, uh, I, can, I can still type and, you know, I, I do, I just not as much as, as before. Uh, so I work sort of half a day um, on my fiction. And then, um, so I just thought, well, this is the chance I can do, you know, write my novels. And I've, I've written two novels on, on my third and a lot of short stories and essays and, you know, different stuff. Uh, being that public speaker and being featured in all those events, how do you, uh, something that I even struggle with is public speaking and just getting in front of a crowd and just, uh, how do you do that? You know, what, what kind of goes into that for you? Do you not feel those nerves or any advice for someone that wants to go into public speaking and, or is gearing up to maybe make a presentation in front of a large group or people they don't know, uh, kind of what kind of helps you out to make that process smoother? Yeah, you know, I was always, I was really shy and um, it's worn off through the years, but I'm basically a shy person. So it was not easy to, you know, I mean, and that was part of the challenge for me is to, to do this. And it was just a, a great personal challenge. And I felt like real, uh, really a sense of accomplishment, you know, talking to a, a room full of people standing in front of it. And I started off small, um, talking to like book clubs about my, you know, I, I, I learned very quickly, you have to promote your own books, you know, you're, and even if you're published by a huge uh, major or publisher, they expect you to get out there and, and promote your books. So I started off talking to like writing groups, um, just small groups, you know, and that is, gave me confidence. And I discovered I could do it, you know, and it wasn't as bad as I, th I thought. And people thought I was interesting. And I was like, wow, you know, and I, and I would make a joke and people would laugh. And I was like, <laughs> wow, you know, uh, this is, I can do it. I can do it. So I, my advice is just start small and you can do it. And I mean, if I can do it, anyone can do it because I, um, yeah. So I just had to just get out there and do, and just push yourself to do it. Um, and just look out and they, you know, audiences are usually friendly. Um, and as I said, you know, if you go with a friendly sort of audience, like a book club or, you know, some a group that you know, you're familiar with, they tend to be friendly audiences and build your confidence that way. I think it's really a, a matter of confidence and just sort of saying, I can do this, practicing at home. That was another thing too, is I would write, you know, my speech out a little bit and what I wanted to say, and I would practice. And, you know, the more you sort of practice it, you know what you're going to say and have it in front of you, the notes and stuff like that. Some people speak impromptu, but I always find I forget things, you know, and then you, then you're off track, you know, when you bring something up, you're like, oh yeah, I didn't mention that. So I, you know, I, I prefer to, to work from a, uh, you know, at least notes or, um, you know, a, a written document, because then you can refer to it. Um, and just, yeah, just, and, and I think people appreciate, they want to see you be yourself. So just be yourself and just try and be as relaxed as you can, which is, it's difficult when, you know, all these eyes are looking at you and stuff. It's difficult. But again, if I can do it, and I was painfully shy as a kid, as a growing up, I really was. Comedians sometimes say, and not to like the field to comedy, but they do get in front of large groups and they kind of have stories about a time where they bombed or they didn't do as well. Do you have any stories of maybe when you went up to public speaking or when you did, you know, back in your journalism and reporting experience where maybe it didn't go as planned and kind of how you bounce back from something like that or receiving any kind of, you know, maybe criticism, constructive criticism for your work and how you bounce back from that? Well, I remember what, you know, traffic in L.A. is, you know, notorious. I mean, it's just terrible. So I had a speaking engagement down in Orange County and it just took me like two hours to get there and I was just fried 
and, and I had to go straight, you know, it was almost, I arrived just on time and I went in, you know, and gave my thing and I was, and I was flat and I knew I was flat and people's faces were just kind of like, they were just kind of staring at me. And I was just like, so I learned my lesson there and I thought, you know what, leave plenty of time to get there and relax. You know, even if you get there an hour early, go have coffee and just relax from like, um, you know, if you're driving or flying or whatever. So I thought that was, you know, I, I felt that I, I just didn't do it the first it was, it was, and it, and it was, I had given one little talk and then a person in the audience had invited me to this next group. And I just didn't feel like, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't do as well as that in that first talk. I wasn't relaxed enough. And uh, I was just too, you know, harried and frazzled from the traffic. So I would say, you know, give yourself plenty of time to relax when, before you go on stage kind of thing. Uh, is one uh, word of advice and be prepared. And that's another thing. I, I, again, I learned not to just do it and prompt you and to practice, you know, because again, you, you lose your train of thought and then you're like, well, I forgot to say that. And then you have to go back. And then it's like, you know, you just mm -hmm. look like you're kind of bumbling yeah. around. So I would say, you know, definitely practice, try to arrive time on, on time, you know, early and, and give yourself time to relax before going on. Um, and yeah, just, and another thing I, I learned too was to using slides, Google slides, that really keyed in the audience when you have something visual for them to look at. And I felt people were much more, paid much more attention. And I've since read things that when um, people pay much more attention when they have something visual to focus on as well, you know, after the, after the talk. So that's another thing that I've learned too, to incorporate um, some kind of visual element. So let's say tomorrow, like a very large corporation says, hey, Christina, we want you to come on. We want you to give us uh, a speech on X, Y, and Z topic. Do you still feel at all going into that any nerves or are you now at that point where you're comfortable and you, you're just confident, you know what to do going in? Pretty confident. I mean, I'm still, you know, a little nervous. I got to prepare and make sure and whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I know I can do it. So, you know, again, once you've done it once, you know, and, and several times, even, even with small crowds, you can do it, you know, in front of a big crowd. Okay. Well, that's definitely good to know, you know, for people out there, you might still feel those nerves. It's normal. So you mentioned earlier about your published work and you, you realized that you wanted to go into fiction. Um, and you do have two books, I believe it's called girl on the brink and skin of tattoos. So I reviewed both of these on your website, kind of the description, and they seem like two, uh, and forgive me if I'm, totally wrong about this, but two very different types of stories, uh, two different kind of topics. One seems like a budding romance gone wrong, uh, the, which is girl on the brink. And then skin of tattoo seems like a, you know, gang rival revenge. Just what got your mind onto those two different topics and how did you come up with those stories? Yeah. One's, one's a very personal story. One girl on the brink is, a, is actually something that happened to me. I got involved in a, uh, with a really bad, bad dude. And so I wanted to write about it and I wanted to write it for teen teenagers as they start their dating lives because there are definite red flags of abusers. And so that was that was the origin of, the, of that novel. And, um, uh, you know, and people, whenever I talk about it or, um, you know, people, I always get women coming up to me afterward and saying that happened to me, that happened to me. Thank you so much for writing about this. Um, so it's really been pretty gratifying, but I just, it, it was something sort of cathartic for me to write that. And, um, and, and I did so in a way that it 
was a suspenseful story, not sort of a preachy story, and it did get a, a mention, uh, Best of YA from Suspense Magazine, so I felt, you know, pretty oh, good about that. And it's that there's an audio book, uh, got a great narrator for that, and now I've, a friend of mine has just translated it into Spanish, so it's, I'm going to release it in Spanish um, this coming year, 2021, so that, that'll be, an, and actually that'll be another learning curve, how to do that and market in Spanish. Yeah. But um, the other book came out of Skin of Tattoos is more, yeah, it's more of a kind of a hard, gritty story, um, and that came out of when I was in El Salvador interviewing uh, gang members down there, and um, they had actually been deported from Los Angeles back to El Salvador uh, because of their crimes that they had committed. And they were sort of a, a sort of like fish out of water. They were, you know, they had been born there or grew up there to a very young age, and then their parents had taken them to Los Angeles. So some of them didn't even speak Spanish that well. You know, they had been brought up in the United States, but they had um, <clears throat> they weren't citizens. They had permanent residency, so the government could, you know, deport them for, for committing crimes. So I became kind of, I, it just was a fascinating story for me. And it was an outgrowth of the Civil War in El Salvador in the 1980s, which prompted, you know, hundreds of thousands of Salvadorans to flee, mostly, you know, a lot of them here uh, to the United States. So it was just an odd thing. And then once here, they started these gangs. And it's, you know, and then they ended up tr sort of taking it back, exporting it back to Salvador. So it was just an odd story. And then when I was in LA working for the AP, I covered a lot of gang issues, which is a big, big deal here. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the, the origin of that story. So that was more based on interviews and, you know, things that I had come across in, my, in journalism. Yeah. Um, I mean, both stories seem really interesting. And I believe uh, you can definitely speak on this more, but based on the website, they are available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible. I will again link everything in the description uh, for you guys to check these books out. Um, do you feel like people will need like an English degree? I know you mentioned you had that background to write books, or do you think there is that flexibility to just dive in if you have a story and you want to tell it? Yeah, I think I think people can can learn the craft. You know, it's it's a craft of writing. I think your best. Um, Thing if you want to be a writer is to read a lot and just absorb and I think reading rather I know a lot of people like to listen to audiobooks today I don't think it I don't think it creates the same uh you absorb it in the same way as when you see the sentence on the page and then you learn you can kind of pick up how to to how to craft a sentences in, in a story and I just think just read as widely as you can and even when you after you're um, a published author I think reading is just one of the things you have to have to do it's just uh so i think anybody can really do it of course some people have more of an aptitude for it than others but you can learn the craft of writing and so did you go the route of self-publishing did you go with an agency is there any recommendations you have for anyone that's deciding on the two pros cons um i ended up getting two agents literary agents not neither of which were successful in selling my book so i ended up placing them both so, you know, getting deals with both um, for both with small um, small presses, very small publishers. So I was just pleased to get them out there. It's an extremely competitive field, and um, it's just saturated. The whole you know Amazon self publishing is just saturated the field. So it's very difficult, even when you get a book published, to get it traction. You know, um, to get any sales and traction is difficult. But you know, so you have to do it really because you love to do it. You know, if you if you so many people think they think they're going to self-publish a novel and it's and it's 
<laughs> you know, just going to amazingly be a bestseller and they, you know, yeah. they're all, you know, excited about it. And I, I, I never just say anything, but, but I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you'll see. Uh, because marketing is a huge part of it these days. And so, so might- and- Oh no, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, so, you know, if you do self-publish and, um, you know, that's fine. You just have to be prepared to really do, you know, you have to do all the work, which you have to do pretty much anyway, even if you have a penguin random house behind you. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned Girl on the Brink was a personal story that happened to you and Skin of Tattoos was kind of inspired on your experiences on the places you went to. Is that where you feel like you get like the creativity and inspiration to write? Uh, where do you get it now with your new novel coming out? Is it all based on kind of like personal experiences um, or like what kind of inspires you to write? Kind of a mix of stuff. You know, you take what's happened and then you kind of mix it with your imagination. So it's kind of an amalgam of, of reality and, and imagination. Um, I'm currently working on a mystery story and it's set in northern New Jersey in a fictional town. Actually, the same town that I set, uh, Girl on the Brink, is in a, in a fictional town in northern New Jersey. Indi- I called it Indian Valley. Nice. And uh, it's based on the town that I went to high school in. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you just take a mix of different things. Uh, so this is a, it's going to be a mystery, mystery novel. So I, this is definitely more on a personal note, but I have a bad habit where I do enjoy writing as well, but sometimes I'll write and then I'll see something or I'll read something and I'll think it'll never be as good as that. Like, and I get really discouraged. So if anyone's out there that's feeling that, uh, I don't know if you've ever felt that, do you have any advice for someone that's going through something like that? Yeah, that's everybody feels that. I mean, even when you're, you know, and, and, I've, and, and, and it's a block, you know, and it blocks you and it stops you from developing your story or continuing, you just abandon. So you start something else and then you think, eh, you know, and it comes from lack of belief in your story and, and that you have something to say. And, you know, I mean, face it, everything's been told at this point, you know, I mean, there are no, no really original stories, yeah. but it's your take on it. And you just have to believe in your, your story that you have something to say and believe in yourself. And sometimes you just have to not look at a lot at what, uh, you know, competitors or something. Uh, so you just have to think, um, yeah, I'm just going to tell my story and see how it comes out. So I would say, you know, just keep going. The important thing is to finish and, you know, um, just to keep going till you finish a draft and then maybe just set it aside for a while and then come back to it. And sometimes, uh, you know, with a totally fresh eye, you think, wow, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was a pretty good idea. Or, hey, maybe I can do this to it, you know, and make it better. So that's another, I think, essential part of the formula is just, just leaving it to putting it on ice kind of thing and work on something else. Maybe it's something shorter, an essay, a short story, or what have you, poem, and then coming back and saying, hmm, this is pretty good. And, you know, every, I've done that many times and I've been like, oh, this is, this is crap. I'm going you know, to put it away. And then I'm like, why did I abandon this? You know, oh, wow. like, this is pretty good. Yeah. So it's, everybody goes through that self-doubt and it's very, it can be very paralyzing. You have to kind of push through it. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, great advice. And all the authors out there are for your pain. And it's good to know, you know, someone that does have two published works with, um, you know, great reviews online. So that even you had gone through that process. So it is kind of good to know that as well. Um, if I can give a quick basketball analogy, I don't know if it'll make sense at all, but um, Shaquille O'Neal, he is a very, you know, uh, legendary basketball player. And he was known as probably one of the most dominant basketball players. And he played for multiple NBA teams. So when he retired, they asked him, which NBA team would you want your jersey to be retired with? 
and he mentioned the Los Angeles Lakers because you know that was my favorite experience or blah blah blah. So if I can relate that to your experience with you know you have public speaking, you have your you know the human rights work, you have journalism reporting, and now you're publishing your own writing. Uh, if you had to pick one to have you know quote unquote your jersey retired in, or if you picked one as your favorite, mm. which one? If you can pick one, which one would that be? Wow, that is a tough one. Well, it would probably be if something in journalism or in in maybe in fiction writing. I think you know if you when, once you write a book, it's sort of out there forever. You know, it's kind of there. Whereas journalism comes and goes because it just gets lost in the daily swamp of news and, and whatnot. Um, so maybe a book, yeah, maybe maybe uh, you know one of my novels. Okay, like that because they they tend to last longer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Is there any more information on? The next one, I know that probably gets really annoying on, hey, when's your next book coming out? But is there any more information in the timetable or is it just kind of up in the open? Anywhere people can follow you to kind of find updates on that? Well, you can, on my website, there's a newsletter, a contact form, and you can sign up for a newsletter, which is extremely infrequent, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so it's not like I'm going to flood your inbox with stuff. Um, but so you can sign up for my newsletter and uh, I'm just ending completing the second draft. So finally the plot's down um, and it's got a true crime. One, one of the threads, narrative threads going through it is, has a true crime podcast in it. And then there, there's a you know, real time crime, you know, investigation going on um, through it. Uh, and then we'll co- coincide with the podcast. I'm glad that you were able to come on this podcast uh, and share your experiences. I know for all the authors, uh, aspiring public speakers, journalists, reporters, uh, they can definitely find some value in this conversation. Uh, is there anything else maybe you want to share about your experiences or any highs, lows, advice for someone coming into the field, just anything in general you would like to share? Just be persistent. And really, I think in, in today more than ever, um, is it takes perseverance to get to your goals. So don't give up on yourself. Um, believe in yourself and just persevere. Just if you can't do it one way, try another way. You know, like I said, I I, uh, I couldn't see myself getting from a local paper in New Jersey to where I wanted to, to, to be a foreign correspondent. So I kind of made it happen myself. I just went abroad and fell into it again. And, um, you know, and it was fantastic. So, you know, try different avenues to accomplish what you want to accomplish and, and persevere. And yeah, that's definitely great advice. And it's good to hear, you know, you came from Jersey as well. The podcast is based in Jersey. So Jersey Roots. Um, yeah, so again, guys, I will link Christina's website below. Uh, I will definitely link everything. I've seen some uh, of her public speaking work online. It's on YouTube. You can find it if you search Christina Hogue. Uh, so I will definitely link all that as well. Uh, a huge thank you to Christina for coming on and making the time, especially during the holidays. Uh, Christina, so before we end, I do like to ask a just a random question just to close it off. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. That's, so that's a good way to do it. Great. So we spoke a lot about you know, your published work and the things you've done in the past. Uh, so speaking of a very kind of highly, highly known, highly regarded author, how many novels did Agatha Christie publish in her lifetime? Mm, I think that had to be, it, is, it has to be dozens. I know it's dozens. I don't know, a hundred, maybe 90. Uh, oh, so novels like is 66. So there's definitely a lot more 66. short stories, but yeah, you would definitely... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I knew I was I knew it was a lot, you know. I was think, trying to think. I don't know if it's that many or yeah, 66. That sounds about right. If you're listening to the audio only version, uh swing over to either Jobs Not Finished Pod on Instagram or Jobs Not Finished Pod on YouTube and you can check that in the description. Uh, all the links to Christina's work and her website. 
Uh, thank you again, Christina, for coming on. I really appreciate your time, and I've had a lot of fun just learning more about your background. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much.